Hello, and welcome back to the Hearsay Podcast, a joint project between Pro Bono Students Canada, University of Calgary Chapter, and CJSW 90.9 FM. This is a podcast where University of Calgary law students discuss a variety of legal topics with a variety of professionals in the field. We'd like to emphasize that the information you hear today is legal information and not legal advice, as we are law students and not lawyers. This podcast is purely for informational purposes. If you do require legal advice, please consult a lawyer, as there is no substitute for a professional. My name is Nana, and I'll be one of your hosts for this episode, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean. We will be speaking today with Kelsey Sitar in a two-part discussion about Legal Aid Alberta in the context of access to justice. Kelsey is a well-regarded criminal defense lawyer that deals with complex litigation and legal appeals. She's a partner and co-founder of Sitar and Melcherik, Vice President of the Calgary Criminal Defense Lawyers Association and a Tyler's Advocate. Before we begin, in the spirit of reconciliation, we would first like to acknowledge that hearsay is recorded on Treaty 7 territory. We acknowledge that Treaty 7 territory is a traditional and ancestral territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, consisting of the Gainai, Bikani, and Siksika, as well as the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda First Nation. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3, within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We acknowledge that many First Nations, Métis and Inuit, who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have gone before us. We make this acknowledgement as an act of gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting. Welcome to the second part of our podcast on the legal aid system in the context of criminal law. In this episode, we sat down with criminal defense lawyer Kelsey Sitar in November. Our discussion focused on the job action and access to justice in Alberta. Access to justice means giving everyone equal and fair access to the justice system by providing access to information or removing barriers to justice, such as financial costs. Kelsey, could you please refresh our viewers on who you are, what you do, and your involvement with the CDLA? Sure. So I'm a criminal defense lawyer here in Calgary. I practice with uh, my law partner in a small shop. Um, I do primarily complex criminal litigation, uh, appellate work as well. And um, also I do represent complainants in sexual assault cases, women who've been victimized primarily, um, both in the criminal court setting when an accused person might be seeking to either rely on their past sexual history or their own personal records to cross-examine them at a trial, um, but also in the civil context as well when victims wish to pursue civil remedies uh, against their uh, against their abusers. Since our discussion with Kelsey in November 2022, the CDLA voted to pause its job action in response to an increase in the tariff rates from $100 to $125 per hour. However, in providing our listeners with insight on the job action, we turned to Kelsey for an explanation of what led to the job action. Yeah, so it, it started in August, and it started um, to sort of take you back a little bit. We've talked about the tariff and the problems with the tariff and the, and the problems with the rates of compensation. And we've also talked about the, the problems with the, the financial, eligibility, financial eligibility guidelines. And when the governance agreements get signed, they're generally 
last for about five years, but there's a midterm governance agreement review that happens. And so when that happened last October, there was discussion from all around the room. This, the CBA was there and was talking about their study and, and what they've seen in terms of the need to increase funding for to reduce the number of self-reps. Everybody was there. All of the discussion was had. It appeared that the government was willing to take seriously, finally, looking at these issues and doing a, a full-scale examination of the FEGs and doing a full-scale examination of the tariff. Um, and so everyone was quite excited about that. And then this spring, what we heard from the government um, was that they told Legal Aid that they could look at the tariff. And in the first tariff consultation meeting, we were told, we're allowed to look at it, but we are not allowed to touch the hourly rate. We are not allowed to talk about the who qualifies for legal aid, and we have to make whatever we build now fit within our current funding envelope. So basically, you're saying, go ahead, renovate the kitchen, but you can't have a budget for new appliances. Well, what's the point? So we started pressing, pressing the government at that point to say, this is a useless review. It's going to accomplish nothing. You're rearranging the chairs on the Titanic, and you need to stop it. You need to do an actual review of this. We gave Minister Shandro a date by which we wanted some good faith negotiations and discussions around these topics because we were concerned both for the clients who we have to look in the eye and try and figure out what we're going to do because they can't get legal aid. We're worried about our colleagues that we're seeing leave to go to other areas of practice. And so we gave him a date by which we wanted a, a response. And when we didn't get that response, um, we started job action. So in August, we tried to, and we've throughout this, tried to do this in a way that would make clear to the government how serious we are and how serious the situation is while minimizing the impact on Albertans as much as possible. So we started in August by withdrawing duty council services, so the ad hoc or sort of daily uh, per diem duty council services, as well as the representation for complainants in sexual, sexual assault cases, which is also a type of duty council certificate, and the um, cross-examining in domestic cases. And our hope was that that would be enough to flag for the government they're serious. They're doing something about this to, to really bring it home to us. And it would minimize impact on, on Albertans that needed, that might be in, incarcerated currently and need bail and things like that. Um, and that didn't work. And so beginning at the beginning of September, we then escalated to not taking the most serious types of files. Um, we, so we stopped taking, there, there's sort, certain breakdowns for offenses, but essentially things like homicide, sexual assault, um, the most serious charges in, in the tariff system. Um, and we did that for a while, and that didn't work either. And so at the end of September, we stopped taking new work from Legal Aid Alberta. And we've been in that phase of our job action now um, for over a month. And we had one meeting with the government, which um, was frankly more of the same, that, well, we're doing this review, and there'll be a review, of course, not discussing the fact that the review is doomed to fail from the beginning because it's not looking at the things that are actual problems. And then shortly thereafter, we received a very short amount of advance notice that the government would be announcing this 8.225% increase um, to the financial eligibility guidelines, which takes them to what they were roughly in 2010, 30% of inflation ago, um, and takes the hourly rate conveniently to $100 an hour on the nose, that which only applies to certificates effectively certificates that would be taken in, in sort of contravention of our job action, or if job action ended, it doesn't apply to other certificates that are active for folks right now. It's only new certificates. Um, and it all was federal money. None of that was provincial money. The province didn't actually solve anything. They just put money that they were required to put into legal aid services into legal aid services.
As well as increasing the rate to $125 an hour in December of 2022, the provincial government in its most recent budget committed to increase legal aid funding by $24 million in 2023-2024, $31 million in 2024-2025, and $35 million in 2025-2026. The Canadian Bar Association released a statement in response to the budgetary increase that reads, CBA Alberta's Agenda for Justice also calls on the government to improve access to justice, which means giving Albertans with legal aid issues the confidence that they can access a fair justice process and a fair result. To this end, we are pleased to see increased funding for Legal Aid Alberta in Budget 2023 and look forward to the coming review of the Legal Aid Alberta Governance Agreement. By allowing more Albertans to access legal aid services and reducing the number of self-represented litigants in our court system, our research shows that Alberta justice will not only yield more satisfactory outcomes, but also reduce delays in our justice system, resulting in a net savings. This podcast is current as of March 25th, 2023. On April 1st, the provincial government is expected to release documents that affect the tariff system and financial eligibility guidelines as they relate to the criminal law aspect of Legal Aid Alberta. The provincial government has retained an external consultant to assess Alberta's legal aid tariff system and financial eligibility guidelines by comparing with other provinces' rates and guidelines. Stakeholders will have opportunities to review and provide input on the consultant's preliminary recommendations. And with that, let's get back into our discussion. Kelsey, could you elaborate a little bit more on how the federal government's involved in funding legal aid and its relationship with the province in providing funding for legal aid services? Yeah, so I think there's no sort of agreement sort of of, you know, you kick in 20 million, we'll kick in 20 million. Um, What does happen is the federal government makes a contribution every year that is then earmarked and says, you know, this portion is generally for immigration files, because those are things under federal jurisdiction, right? So criminal law and immigration. So they'll contribute. And it's been between 15 and 17 million for a number of years now. And the vast majority of that is for criminal files, because that's something within the federal jurisdiction that they're the ones responsible for for that area of the law. And the rest is for immigration files, essentially. Um, But then that just sort of gets rolled into the provincial number without a lot of fanfare about where the money has come from. So it looks like the provincial government is funding this and and where's the federal government? Well, the federal government number is within that provincial number. You have to deduct it off of what the province has contributed um, for the year. One of the issues that led to the job action was the dissatisfactory tariff rates offered for legal aid certificates. What can be some of the implications for junior lawyers when the tariff rates are not competitive? So that has implications not only for the junior lawyers, but the senior lawyers. And when I mentioned earlier that junior lawyers, sort of five years and under, are 40% of the roster lawyers in Alberta, there's a reason for that. Senior lawyers don't take legal aid, or they don't take it on much. They'll take it on incredibly serious files. They'll take it on appeal work, where those files are things that people can rarely privately fund. but they're not taking it on anything else. And so that means we see very junior lawyers, often who don't have the experience to be able to run something as efficiently as possible. They're doing their very best. It also means that even when those senior lawyers are taking those more serious files, they're barely scraping through on those files. So they can't afford to 
takes take some losses to have a junior come and learn from them on those files. So we're not having the mentorship that you see when you walk into those serious file courtrooms and you see two crowns over there. Beyond the fact that that's incredibly important in a long trial where you need two people to do it well, it's a mentorship opportunity. That junior crown is learning. They're having an opportunity to, to watch an apprentice under someone who's senior who knows what they're doing. And so we don't do ourselves any favors with that in Alberta either when those opportunities are just few and far between for our junior lawyers because of the rate of pay. Kelsey, how do the qualification requirements and tariff rates impact access to justice? Yeah, so it means that there are are individuals who need lawyers who aren't getting the lawyers that they need either at all they're not qualifying and so they're left to try and represent themselves or they're perhaps not getting the the lawyer that they need in terms of experience and practice area so we're seeing more and more lawyers who are practicing some criminal law but primarily practice family law or primarily practice civil litigation or have a mixed practice and criminal law is one of the f- most fast-changing areas of law in Canada. Um, The Supreme Court can release a case tomorrow. In fact, they're scheduled to release a case tomorrow that can fundamentally shift everything and everything can change. And so it's not something that you can really do on a part-time basis unless you're really dedicated to doing it well. And the analogy I've used is if if an Albertan went in and said they're getting heart surgery and then a neurologist walked in and said, I'm here to perform your heart surgery, they'd be legitimately concerned about that. And if you hire a family lawyer to to handle a criminal prosecution, you've you've effectively handled hired a neurologist to do your your cardiac surgery. And so it's it's a significant problem for folks that either they're getting the lawyer that's not maybe the lawyer that they need or they're not getting a lawyer at all. And and it ties both to like who qualifies and who doesn't and then what the tariff rate is and then who's willing to do that work for that rate of pay. And actually, maybe I'll say about that too and you can put it wherever you like. This isn't just a problem for criminal accused. And so if we look at the complainants or victims of sexual assault who are are needing counsel to assist them in keeping their private records private and keeping their sexual history their own business. Um, those lawyers right now that take that work, you have to be on a specialized roster and and have done some training and, and shown that you're qualified to do that work to take those certificates. Right now, those certificates are worth 10 hours. That's inclusive of everything. So that's inclusive of your prep time, reviewing the materials that have been filed by the defense, preparing anything that you may want to file in response, showing up to court. And no matter how much time it takes in court, you are getting 10 hours. And I've certainly had hearings like that that go multiple days and where I've then had to do written submissions at the at the end of those multiple days. And it's also worth remembering that those clients that are needing those assistance or that assistance have been through significant trauma. And so these are not interviews that any good lawyer is going to sit down and rush through with a victim of sexual assault. You're going to give that person the time they need to be able to open up and talk to you about the things they need to talk to you about. And so it also means for those folks that they're not maybe getting the time that they deserve or the lawyers that they need because it's just work that is so poorly paid, either people do it because that's not a concern to them or they do it in spite of that. Um, And they can only do that for so long. And so we're starting to see now burnout in the defense bar where people are needing to work so incredibly hard to be able to make enough money to make a go of their private practice that we're seeing 
I'm deeply concerned about the number of significant health concerns I'm seeing and crop up in my colleagues, the number of people who are needing to take a break, which we never used to see in this in this bar. It's it's really concerning to me that the toll that it takes on defense lawyers who want to do the work the way it needs to be done in spite of just how poorly they're they're paid to do it. You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM and online. When criminal defense attorneys aren't incentivized by competitive tariff rates to take certificates, who takes those certificates and what does that mean for the legal process? Yeah, so we certainly have seen examples, particularly with duty counsel right now. Um, There were roster lawyers who would take those shifts on contract basis. So there's in-house duty counsel who that's what they do. They're great at their job. They work incredibly hard for their clients. There's not enough of them. So they they need to get some roster lawyers to fill the gaps. And, And when roster lawyers stopped taking those certificates in August, they needed to find other people to fill those gaps. And and lots of those folks were people we've never seen before. And in Calgary, um, and same is true in Edmonton, most other jurisdictions in Alberta, it's a fairly small group. We all kind of know each other. If you're a criminal lawyer, you know the other criminal lawyers, both prosecutors and defense. And so there was there's been a number of instances where I've personally seen or I've had colleagues report back to me really concerning things they've seen in court, um, where we just have individuals that don't don't know the rules of the road, so to speak, in those courtrooms and don't know what should be happening and and what should be said and, and what should be being asked of an accused. And so there certainly have been days where it appears, despite the presence of duty counsel, the accused persons are doing most of the advocacy for themselves, explaining to the court what's going on and, and trying to get some help. And judges are doing the very best they can to help people through that. Um, certainly in the representation side of things, when we see counsel that maybe are have not had enough experience or mentorship to be doing the type of work that they're doing. Um, the net result of that is appeals. And so what it ends up meaning for taxpayers is they're probably paying a legal aid appeal lawyer to to prepare that appeal, file that appeal. They're then going to be paying because three justices now of the Court of Appeal are going to be sitting for a roughly a half a day, usually two and a half hours, to hear that appeal. They're going to have to then decide that appeal. And if they order a new trial, then they're paying all over again for another trial of that matter. And so particularly when we look at cases like sexual assault, and um, the law is incredibly complicated. There's some criminal defense lawyers who will not touch sexual assault cases because the law is so complicated. And there are people who do this every day. Um, personally, I don't do impaired driving work, as an example, because it's very technical and nuanced. There are I have clients colleagues who subspecialize in that. And that's where I tell people to call. I refer folks to that work. I do wiretap litigation. Um, That's not something that everybody does, right? So even within criminal law, we have subsets of types of practice where people are well-versed or not. And when you have somebody who doesn't know that really detailed, complex area of the law trying to handle a case like that, we end up with wrongful convictions. We end up with arguments that shouldn't have been made, um, rulings that shouldn't have been been found because they didn't have the information and the arguments they actually needed. So what does the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association or criminal defense lawyers in general, what do they want to see in terms of the removal or reduction of barriers to access to justice? Yeah, so the, the release in September from Legal Aid Alberta talked about doing a comprehensive review of the financial or the sort of a comprehensive review of the guidelines about who qualifies. And they've drawn examples, and it's a good example to Manitoba for, 
for a comparator. Um, it's going to be something that needs significant investigation and study, but certainly should be incorporating not just finances for individuals, but potential consequences if someone's convicted, the seriousness of the charge that they're facing, which is going to impact what private retainer would cost. And so I think both Legal Aid and the Defense Bar would would be at Edom on what this is going to take, which is a fulsome review um, that's really geared at what defending and, and representing oneself, obtaining legal representation privately, looking at what obtaining legal representation privately actually costs someone and what's realistic to think is a sufficient income to be able to pay those costs, I think is, is what everyone is saying needs to happen. During the job action, we saw a number of news articles covering the issue. But what were you seeing in terms of the public's reaction to the ongoing negotiations between Legal Aid Alberta and the provincial government? Yeah, so we certainly have seen some traction. Um, Twitter is a place that there's been quite a lot of interaction with with Albertans. And I think it tends to be sort of people who are somehow affiliated to the other folks that are um, posting. And so we've seen some some overlap with people in the medical profession, for example, other helping professions, social workers, um, our message sort of get out in, within those sort of related communities um, and amplifying our voices and supporting our cause. But also the CDLA very early in our job action decided to set up an information table outside the Calgary Court Centre downtown. Um, and we had some pamphlets and pins and, and were there and available to discuss these issues with Calgarians. And, and those interactions were quite consistent with what the CBA study revealed, which is that Albertans are, they get these issues. They think that it's important that people not only have a lawyer when they can't afford one, but that they have a lawyer who's experienced and knows what they're doing. Um, and they recognize that it's important that we pay lawyers sufficiently so that we retain those people because it makes the system more efficient and it protects best outcomes uh, in our courtrooms. And they understand that the the FEGs right now are just unreasonably low. They're embarrassingly low that nobody would be able to afford hardly rent and food, never mind also paying privately for lawyers. So Albertans get it. We're just waiting for the government to get it. So what can people do to support the current job action? Um, are there any particular MLAs or MPs they can write to, a provincial and federal? What can What kind of actions can people take? Yeah, I would encourage everyone who's interested in this issue and, and cares about this issue to write to their MLA. I would encourage them to CC Justice Minister Shandro, to CC the justice critic, uh, Irfan Sabir, uh, to CC the official opposition leader, Rachel Notley. Um, people can certainly also write to their MPs federally. I think this is certainly for criminal justice a federal issue as well. So write to their MPs, CC uh, Justice Minister Lametti. Um, these are important issues that I think need to be on the on front of mind for all of our elected officials. Um, our CDLA organization is on Twitter at CDLA Calgary. So at CDLA Calgary, you can find us. We've also, if you scroll down through our timeline, we've posted some template letters. So we've tried to make this as easy for people as possible. We know everyone's really busy, um, but you can take one of those letters and modify it to your suiting and and fire that off to your MLA. I think it's really important that our our uh, politicians understand that Albertans are concerned about this and that Albertans think it's an important issue and they expect them to address it. Kelsey, if people wanted to get a hold of yourself, uh, where might they go about doing that? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter as well. It's just my first name, last name. You'll find me, Kelsey Sitar, um, and my inbox is open so people can direct message me on there. The CDLA is on Twitter and our messages are open as well, so people can certainly reach out to us as an organization there as well. 
So you've kind of touched briefly on the positions of the parties, but could you just summarize for us quickly what the government of Alberta's position is, what Legal Aid Alberta's position is, and what the defense lawyers' positions are? Yeah, so the government of Alberta seems to be of the view that there's a tariff modernization project underway right now, and so that they will get to this when that's finished and with the next year's budget. And, of course, the the problem with that position is that it's a broken tariff review that's not looking at any of the actual problems. And so that's our position, in, essentially, is that there's nothing to wait for. That that review is not going to help us. Um, it's not going to tell us anything because we're not actually looking at what the fundamental problems are. Um, Legal Aid Alberta's position was a bit unclear at first, but they released a joint statement from their CEO and board of directors in late September that, that made clear that they do agree that the tariff is too low and that the hourly rate in Alberta is too low and that that needs to be addressed and brought in line with other provinces like BC and Ontario. And also that a comprehensive review of the financial eligibility guidelines is required to make sure that we're covering the people who need access to legal aid services. And so the defense bar's position essentially is that that needs to happen. Like Those things need to happen and the government needs to show some good faith commitment because for years and years we've heard, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it or in the next budget or in the next governance agreement. And so um, the, the trust and faith is gone, frankly, with the government. And so there needs to be some good faith efforts put forward and some commitments made now in the interim while they undertake the reviews that need to happen. And so um, I think quite simply that could be um, some significant adjustment to the FEGS, 8.225% to bring them in line with 2010 isn't going to cut it. Um, inflation is a firm number that is easy to account for. It's still not going to make them high enough, but it's something. It would be a substantial commitment to show that they are uh, going to negotiate on these issues in good faith. And the same could be said for the hourly rates. And certainly the Defense Bar will continue to work with the government, will continue to give those volunteer hours to to work towards a better system because at the end of the day, that's why we do what we do. We're fundamentally committed to access to justice and and to having a system that's better for everyone. So what we really need to see is that the government is committed just like we are. We'd like to remind our listeners that our discussion with Kelsey took place in November 2022. As we've expressed throughout this podcast, the circumstances around the legal aid funding and the CDLA job action have changed. We saw the government increase the tariff rate in December, and commit to new funding in the latest budget. How exactly this funding will impact access remains to be seen, but the increases do signal that the government is listening. In light of these changes that have and will continue to occur, we'd like to remind our listeners that this podcast is current as of March 25th, 2023. It is important that Albertans understand these issues as we work to improve access to justice. Ultimately, from a business perspective, Being proactive will reduce overall costs, as self-represented litigants tend to require more tax dollars, not less. From a public interest perspective, the financial eligibility guidelines currently act as a barrier to legal representation for a number of people because they do not qualify. One of the focuses of the job action taken by Alberta defense attorneys from August to December was to soften the financial eligibility guidelines so as to allow more people to access necessary legal services. Adequate access to justice requires that people are able to utilize legal representation regardless of financial barriers. Legal Aid Alberta provides low-income individuals with defense attorneys, which prevents issues related to self-representation and ensures that individuals are well represented before the court. On behalf of Nana and I, I'd like to once again thank Kelsey Sitar for sitting down with us over the past two episodes.
We appreciate her continuing advocacy in the area of access to justice. We would also like to thank the listeners for tuning in. This has been part two of our podcast on access to justice. You're listening to the Hearsay Podcast. We are proud to present you with legal information, but please remember that this is legal information, not legal advice. If you require legal advice, please consult a lawyer. The Hearsay Podcast is a joint project between CJSW 90.9 FM and Pro Bono Students Canada, University of Calgary Chapter. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this, the Hearsay Podcast can be found on Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.